Hi friends, how are you today? They're doing construction outside, nothing I can do about it. I hope you're having a wonderful day today. My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's Murder Mystery Makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi. Every Monday I sit down and I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin. Heavy. And I do my makeup where I just get ready for my day at the same time. If you are interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button. All right, before we hop in today's story, I do need to add a disclaimer. Yes, I do. Warning, the following presentation is intended for mature audiences. It contains graphic It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. But other than that, yes, let's just hop jump and skip, skadoodle, right into it. I have gotten requested a lot to do this story. I kind of was avoiding it because I try to avoid stories that are super well known just because I feel like it's been told so many times. What else can I add to the story, you know? But I'm doing it anyways. I like to give in to you guys. His name is Richard Ramirez, AKA the Night Stalker. So Richard was one of five children and his father was a former police officer who was working in Juarez, Mexico. Here it comes. But he ended up leaving Mexico and he went to work on the Santa Fe Railroad. The whole family relocated to Texas. So his father was a very hardworking man and was determined just to provide for his family as you know a parent should but he was prone to bursts of anger and he would often physically abuse his wife and his children. It was like a very toxic environment, um, a very angry, angry father. At the age of two, Richard was struck in the head with like a falling piece of furniture, which doesn't sound that bad, but you know, Furniture is so dangerous. But this falling piece of furniture ended up cutting a big gash in his head on his forehead. And then when he was five years old, he was struck again in the head with a swing at school and he was knocked unconscious. And Richard would say from that point on, he suffered from seizures. Side note, if any of you have been paying attention to these backstories, now mind you, these backstories have a lot of consistencies, a lot of things in common, right? Usually the killer or the murderer, the bad guy or girl, suffered from some kind of, or was a victim of some kind of abuse at a young age. But also there is another theme tends to happen in these stories. Do you know what it is? Well, you should, cause I just talked about it. A head injury. Last week we talked about Randy Kraft, head injury. Edmund Kemper, head injury. Ed Gein, head injury. Gary Heidnick, remember him? I talked about him a while ago. Head injury. John Wayne Gacy, we haven't talked about him here yet, but he was the clown dude. Boo, head injury. And the list goes on. There's something hap, right? Is that not interesting to you? Because that was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Anyways, now because Richard's home life was pretty toxic, he would spend a lot of his time nearby at his cousin's house. His cousin, his name was Miguel. So Miguel, this cousin, he was um, much older than Richard and he had been an army Green Beret combat veteran who served in the Vietnam War. So. 
pretty hardcore dude. Now, this cousin was all sorts of effed up. You know, they don't really give much to veterans in the first place as far as like their for their mental well-being. This guy, obviously, Miguel, had just, he's fucked up is really all I can say. Richard would go over to his house and just hang out with him. Now he was like the cool cousin. Miguel would tell Richard just the awful things that he experienced while away at war. And he would also tell Richard the awful and violent rapes that he committed while stationed in Vietnam. He even had photos of, this is the cousin, he even had photos of him posing with a severed head belonging to a woman that he had raped and killed. So he is like showing this all to Richard and Richard is like, whoa, that's cool. Because he's a kid. I'm, he doesn't, you know, like he doesn't know that this is really awful or he does. But at this time, Richard was 10 years old. So he just thought Miguel was a cool older cousin who I don't know what he thought. I guess I can't really speak for him. Anywho, so Miguel would end up teaching Richard some of the skills he had learned when he was in the military, including how to kill people and how to capture people as well. I guess it's good for 10 year olds to know. On May 4th, 1973, Richard was at Miguel's home and they were just hanging out when Miguel and his wife got into an argument, a very heated argument. Now this argument ended up pushing Miguel over the edge and Miguel ended up shooting his wife in the face. Now Richard was there, he was just sitting like on the couch, kind of just staying out of it. So he witnesses Miguel shooting. Now Miguel would end up getting arrested and taken into prison, but he was found not guilty by reasons of insanity and he would just spend four years inca incarcerated in the state mental hospital. For a while after the shooting, Richard decided to live with his sister and her husband. He really just didn't wanna go home because it was not a good place to be. So he ends up moving in with his sister and her husband. Now her husband, this is just a one big hot mess of a family. His sister's husband, was na his name was Roberto and Roberto over here was a peeping Tom. So Roberto would take Richard with him at night to peep in windows of neighbors where like really pretty or attractive ladies were living. So the both of them would go and just kind of creep through the window and watch these women undress or like go to the bathroom or just simply watch, fucking creep. It just kind of seemed like for Richard, it was just one bad place to another bad place to another bad place, you know? I don't think he knew what like a quote unquote normal, normal life or just normal effing hobbies are. As a teenager, Richard began associating his sexual fantasies with violence. While he was still at school, he also worked part-time at a Holiday Inn. Uh, which is a hotel. Holiday Inn is everywhere, right? It doesn't matter, it was a hotel. So he's working part-time at a hotel and going to school. Now, Richard was using this job to his advantage. Richard would use his pass key to enter into hotel rooms and rob the guests while they were out. So one night when he was working at the hotel, Richard broke into, or just used his pass key to get into a guest hotel room. Now, it was a couple. The husband was somewhere he had left and it was just the wife in there by herself. So Richard led himself into the room and he attempted to rape this woman. The husband ended up walking into the room and catching Richard attacking his wife. He tackled him and he tried to take him out, holding him down, police were called, but the charges ended up being dropped when the couple refused to test 
testify. And I was trying to figure out, well, why did they refuse to testify? But they were from out of out of state just visiting and they didn't want to travel to testify against him. Because of this, Richard did end up losing his job at the hotel as he should. So then Richard ends up dropping out of high school in the ninth grade. And honestly, it's a little unclear what he did from this time, ninth grade, all the way up to the age of 22. There really isn't much, much said as to what he was doing. So I don't, I don't really know, but at the age of 22, that's when Richard decided that he was gonna move from Texas to California permanently. So when he moved to California, he went to San Francisco first and he was staying in the Tenderloin district. So it's April 10th, 1984. Richard is staying at this hotel in San Francisco. It's where he ends up murdering a nine-year-old girl in the basement of the hotel. Sadly, he, he, just he raped and he beat the poor girl before stabbing her to death, I'm sorry. And this would be Richard's first known killing, but initially it wasn't connected to him at all. It went unsolved for many, many years and it wasn't until 2009 when they were able to get a DNA match linking him to this horrible murder. He ends up going down south to Los Angeles. So on June 28th, 1984, a 79-year-old woman, her name was Jenny, she was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glassell Park in Los Angeles. And it was said that she had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed and her throat was slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Whoever had done this, cause they didn't know it was Richard at the time, but they knew whoever had done this had gone through the window and they had a fingerprint, but no suspects. On March 17th, 1985, um, Richard had attacked a 22 year old woman and her name was Maria. All of these crimes took place in like the Los Angeles area. So 22 year old Maria was pulling into her garage. Richard ends up like ambushing her, running up to her and he pulls out his handgun and he shoots her in the face. She ends up surviving because the bullet had ricocheted off the keys she held in her hands when she like lifted her hands up to protect herself. Richard thought like she was dead. So he like goes inside of the home and inside of the house was her roommate, 34 year old woman named Dale. Uh, she had heard the gunshot from inside the house and she had uh, ducked behind a counter she, in the kitchen and she was just kind of like hiding there. She ends up raising her head over the, the counter where she's hiding to kind of see where Richard is at, right? So she raises her head and that's when Richard sees her and shoots her in the face killing her. Richard then looked around the home and tried to steal any jewelry or any like valuables and then left. And it was within the same hour, okay? Within the same hour, Richard had come across a lady named Veronica and she was sitting in her car and Richard wanted to steal her car so he could get away. So Richard ends up pulling her out of her vehicle and he ends up shooting her twice and then he ran. It's said that he wanted to steal her car but he ran on foot after he shot her. So I'm not... So then on March 27th, 1985, Richard broke into a home in Whittier. He had broken into this house once before, apparently. So he goes back and he breaks into this home. It's now 2 a.m. in the morning. When he gets in there, he sees 64-year-old Vincent is sleeping in his room. Next to Vincent was his 44-year-old wife. Her name was Mazine. Richard 
just shoots Vincent in the head. And of course, this wakes up his wife who's sleeping next to him. Richard like hops on top of her and he beats her. He then bounds her her hands and he demands that she tells him where all the valuables are at inside of the home. She tells him that there's some jewelry over there. Just take whatever you want. Leaves her on the bed. He's ransacking the home. She is actually able to get her hands out of the bonds, right? And she knows like there's a shotgun underneath her bed. So she's able to get out of there, be quiet about it. So he doesn't know that she's getting out and she gets up, gets under the bed. She grabs the shotgun. Richard comes into the room. She points it at him, pulls the trigger, click. It wasn't loaded. I couldn't imagine her feeling in that moment. So of course this infuriates Richard and he then proceeds to shoot her three times. So then Richard ends up grabbing a knife from the kitchen, gouges both of her eyes out of her face and he puts them in a jewelry box and he takes the jewelry box, just takes it. So when Richard is leaving the scene, he actually ends up leaving his footprints from his sneakers in the flower beds, which are like outside the the home. When police went out to the home and they photographed and made a cast, also police had found bullets at the scene, which had matched to those found at previous attacks. This is the moment when police realized that a serial killer was was at large. So then May 14th, 1985, Richard goes down to like Monterey Park and he enters the home of 66 year old Bill and his 56 year old disabled wife, Lillian, who Bill was like the main caretaker for. I know. It's awful. Bill was in his bedroom and Richard enters the room. They kind of have like a little confrontation, confrontation. Bill went to go reach for his own handgun that he had nearby. When he was reaching for the gun, that's when Richard shot him in the face. Then Richard like goes around and starts trying to steal stuff or find valuables, but then he enters Lillian's room and he finds her there. He bound her up. He raped her, then he ransacked the home. Sadly, Bill passed away while he was in the hospital. So then May 29th, all of these took place in 1985. So I'm just gonna stop saying 1985. Richard steals a Mercedes, a car. He drives out to the home of 83-year-old Maybell and her 81-year-old sister, Florence. Both of them live together. So Richard breaks into their home and he goes straight to the kitchen. And in the kitchen is where he finds a hammer. He runs into Florence first, so he beat her with the hammer. And then he runs into Mabel, bounds her her wrists together. He ends up beating her and he gets electrical cords and he gives both women electric shocks using this cord. He then proceeds to rape Florence and then he grabs a lipstick he sees and he draws like a pentagram on poor Mabel's thigh, as well as one of the walls in the bedroom. The women were actually discovered two days later and they were both still alive at the time and transferred to the hospital. On July 2nd, Richard stole a Toyota and he randomly selected the house of 75 year old Mary. He quietly entered the home and found her asleep in her bedroom. He then beat her until she was unconscious with a lamp. He then tried to find any valuables in the home and left. She was later discovered dead at the crime scene. Oh, it keeps going. Then July 7th. 
Richard broke into the home of 61-year-old Joyce. She was asleep on her living room couch. Richard beat her to death and kicked her in the head, which ended up leaving a clear shoe print from his sneaker on her face. And then after this attack, Richard decided that he needed a better tool to commit these crimes he was doing. So he goes and he buys a machete. I don't know if I'm like a store owner or something and some guy comes in and randomly buys just a machete. I feel like that would be a red flag. Oh, you're buying a machete? Okay, yeah, let me just take your information really quick. I haven't heard any good stories with a machete. Anyways, so he buys a machete. Richard keeps stealing cars and then he wipes them down. He ditches it somewhere and he moves on to the next. So he drives out to a home of 66 year old Lila and her 68 year old husband, Max, bursts into the couple's bedroom where they were asleep, kills both of them with the machete. And then after he knew that they were dead or he thought that they were dead, he then shoots him in the head and then robs their house and takes all of their valuables. So that same night, July 20th at 4 a.m., Richard breaks into another home. It was a husband and a wife and they were asleep in their bed. Richard shot the husband, which killed him instantly. And then he bound and raped the wife. Then the couple had an eight-year-old son. The eight-year-old son came walking in because he hears like noise going on in his parents' bedroom. So he goes into the room to see what's going on. Richard sees the eight-year-old. He bounds him up and he drags the eight-year-old around the house, telling him to show him where the valuables were. And it was said that during this time when he's dragging the little boy around, he demanded that he quote, swear to Satan that he was not hiding any money from him. He left the child bound in the home. The child was able to get out and run to the neighbor's house for help. How are we doing? Are we okay? If if you need to leave, completely understand. When you read about these, it's easy to just think of them as like a character in a way, or just like not real. And then when you remember that it's a real person who really did these things, you're like, what the, what? You know, it's just, what? Moving on to August 8th, Richard steals another car and he chose the home of 27-year-old Sakina and her 31-year-old husband, Elias, at this point sometime after 2.30 a.m. So he enters the home and he just walks into the master bedroom where they are asleep. He shoots and kills Elias, then he handcuffs Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of like the family jewelry. And it was said that Richard repeatedly demanded that she quote, swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. Sure, Richard, sure. He ends up just taking any valuables he saw and then he leaves the home. Now during all this time, I mean, police keep finding these victims and they are linking them all together, thinking that there is indeed like a serial killer out there, but they hadn't made any like public announcement about it. They didn't want to draw attention too much and like scare Richard away. Then a televised press conference had taken place. And it was during this conference, which they ended up giving Richard the name, the Night Stalker. Now, during this press conference is when they tell viewers to lock their doors, lock their windows, because someone is coming and it could be any of you. Like they were, (laughs) 
they were putting some serious fear into anyone who was watching, which, I mean, they weren't really wrong because Richard was out here, like, killing people just at random. This press conference ended up pissing a lot of people off, especially the LA detectives, because they knew Richard was gonna be watching and they knew that Richard was gonna like make a run for it or destroy any type of evidence that he may have in his possession. So LA detectives were like pissed off that they had this media conference about it. I mean, they were right. Richard was indeed watching. Richard saw this and knew that everyone was onto him. He then took his sneakers because they had mentioned in this media conference that they had. Do you remember when they found like his footprints in the garden area when he broke out of a house? Well, they found out like what kind of sneaker it was. So they made an announcement about what kind of sneaker it was. Any little bit of information they had, Richard then takes his sneakers that were linked to the crimes, drives up to San Francisco. He then goes to the Golden Gate Bridge and he drops his sneaker off of the Golden Gate Bridge into the water. Um, he at that time remained in the San Francisco area for a few more days. And then for some reason, he goes back to the Los Angeles area. I don't know why. I mean, it's a good thing he did because he, get, he gets caught, but like, you know, mm -hmm. he drives back to the Los Angeles area. And then on August 24th, Richard gets that itch or that urge to break into someone else's house again. So he drives a little bit outside the Los Angeles area and he is kind of lurking outside of a home. Inside was a 13 year old boy named James and he was awake and he hears footsteps outside the window. At this point, everybody had heard about this night stalker. So everybody was like just freaked out. This James boy, he hears like footsteps and naturally he's like, it's the night stalker. So he runs and he wakes up his parents and they're being just really loud and making sure that whoever's outside is like hearing them, right? This freaks Richard out and he gets into a stolen car. So James, this 13 year old boy, he runs outside brave, had a little notepad and he noted the color, the make and model of the car that Richard was speeding off in. And James was also able to get just a few numbers and letters from the license plate. James contacted the police and handed over what he knew or what he saw. The stolen vehicle that Richard was driving in, they found it on August 28th. They were able to get like a fingerprint from the rear view mirror, even though Richard was really good at like wiping down the vehicle he just missed like one little fingerprint police are excited about this like they got a fingerprint okay so they go back and they're able to get a positive id on the fingerprint and now they had a name for this serial killer who's been just causing chaos this fingerprint belongs to someone named richard ramirez they see that he's like a 25 year old drifter from texas and he had a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and drug violations so law enforcement decided to release to the media a mug shot of Richard that they had on file. So they do another media conference and they publicly address Richard because they know he's watching and they say, we know who you are, everyone else will too. And there will be no place for you to hide. Which I feel like is such a ballsy move when you address the killer on camera. I feel like that to them, they take it as like a challenge. Like, oh yeah, watch me, you know? And I just, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It doesn't matter. 
Okay, cool. So then August 30th, Richard decided to take a bus to Tucson, Arizona. That's where his brother was living. So his brother at this time, I guess, was completely unaware what was going on. Now every newspaper and TV program in California was running this story, okay? It was everywhere and you couldn't avoid it. But I don't know so much if in Tucson, it was. Anyways, Richard ends up not meeting with his brother. So he takes the bus out to Tucson and then gets back on the bus and goes back to Los Angeles. What I've gathered, perhaps, maybe, I'm not really sure, but I think it's because he was worried to put his brother in jeopardy and then now involve him on his crimes. Uh, but that is still kind of like unclear. So I don't really. No, but he gets back on the bus and he goes back to Los Angeles. So then on August 31st, Richard gets off of the bus and he's walking and he looks over and he sees like a newspaper rack, right? Has magazines, newspapers, everything. And on the newspaper rack, it was just every single newspaper had his picture on the front. So he sees this and it sends him into a full blown panic, a meltdown. He takes off running on foot and he tries to run across the freeway, stops a car, it's a woman, he tries to carjack her. Other people nearby who have slowed down and they see this happening, so then they prevent him from carjacking this woman. Richard gets like exhausted by all this, so he takes off and he hops over like several fences attempting two more carjackings. Now, this is the good part, because he ends up in East LA rough. So he ends up in the wrong part of the neighborhood. Perfect, right? Love that. His dumbass tries to stop one of the cars driving down the street. Luckily, there were people outside, like a group of guys hanging outside. So they see this happening and they're like, no. And they attack Richard. One of them had struck Richard over the head with a metal bar and it prevented him from getting away because it like knocked him out, you know? The group ends up just taking turns, beating the shit out of him and holding holding him down until police came. So Richard gets arrested and put in prison and is waiting for his court date. So at his first court appearance, you know, there's press there and stuff. And Richard had carved a pentagram on his hand. So he's showing it to like the cameras and stuff. And he just yells, hail Satan. Lots of Satan stuff on his body. Then on August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that jail employees had overheard Richard planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun. And then Richard was really bragging that he was going to smuggle like a, a gun into the courtroom and how he was gonna do it and all that. And they install a metal detector outside the courtroom. So then August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors did not arrive to the courtroom. And later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. So naturally the jury was terrified. They were all thinking it was Richard, that he somehow directed this to happen from inside his prison cell. And now everyone, especially the jury, was really afraid for their own lives because, you know, one of them, I don't, I'm just trying to do my duty, you know, and I don't want to put my life at risk. I don't blame them. I wouldn't go. Heck no. Later on, it was determined that Richard was actually not responsible for this this lady's death and it was, it was like her boyfriend shot and killed her. Ugh, just 
what is going on? This is what is going on, you know? Like, how awful. Now, this is the part that extra pisses me off. I mean, this whole story pisses me off. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Media was covering this story. They were showing Richard's photo everywhere. A lot of people thought he was a good-looking guy, that he was very hot. Richard had fans. He was getting hundreds of letters. They loved him. They were a fan of his work. There were also a lot of people paying him a visit while he was in prison. One of the ladies who was a big fan, her name was Doreen, and she wrote him nearly like 75 letters during his incarceration, and they were in love. And then during his trial, women were just flocking to the courtroom to get a glimpse of him. They were screaming like it was Justin Bieber. Well, people don't really scream for Justin Bieber anymore. They were screaming like it was, you know, fangirls. Now, many of these fans believed that he was innocent. He's innocent, he didn't do this even though everything points to him. That one juror, she got shot and she died. So she ends up being replaced by another woman. Her name is Cindy. And Cindy was infatuated, in love with, obsessed with Richard. How she got on the jury, I don't know. She is just making googly eyes with Richard, like, oh my God. And she would write him little notes and stuff and write him letters in prison. Richard loved this, okay? Because he thought with her on his side, he could have a chance of getting a hung jury. So he is making sure to give her eye contact when he's like in court, you know, that kind of stuff. September 30th, 1989, Richard was convicted of all charges, 13 counts of murder, five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. Burglary, sorry. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber, which they don't even do anymore, so he just sat there. Now, Richard ended up being upset with Cindy, the juror, because she didn't have his back, disappointed that, you know, that he got the death sentence. She would later go on to do a few TV appearances, insisting that he had been poorly represented and he wasn't deserving of the death sentence. How do you do that? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Just set better standards for yourself. You deserve better. All right, I'm glad we had this talk. In 1988, do you remember Doreen? They were in love too. He had a lot of like girlfriends and stuff. Anyways, Doreen, Richard ends up like proposing to her and they get married on October 3rd, 1996. They were married in the California San Quentin State Prison. We should just do a video dedicated to like San Quentin State Prison because that's where they're all at field trip. But Doreen would eventually leave Richard. She found out that he had killed a nine-year-old and this upset her, so she broke it off with him. But I guess none of the other murders really matter to her. Be better and get better idols. Get better idols, okay? Doreen, darling, hey, do better. Okay. Richard was waiting for his execution date and this is when he became very unwell, very sick. His health just fell apart and he ended up passing away at the age of 53. He had been sitting on death row for more than 23 years. There's this museum out here. It's called the Museum of Death. There's one here in Los Angeles and there's one in New Orleans as well. I've been to the one out here in Los Angeles, been a couple of times. You are not allowed to film in there, take photos, anything, or I would show you guys what it looks like inside. It's intense, it's intense. Collection of serial killer stuff, lots of graphic images, wall to wall to wall. 
every corner is stuffed with something. When you walk in, it's like, it's heavy. Anyways, what I'm getting at is in the Museum of Death here in Los Angeles, they actually have a lot of letters from Richard. They're on display and you could see a picture book, all the different pictures that he got from fangirls while he was in prison. These girls just trying to be all cute and sexy. Yay, Satan. And then they would send it to him and they would write letters expressing their love. Oh, it's it's mind blowing. Some of the things that these girls would do for him it was very scary. Over the years, Richard did keep in touch with his fans and whatnot. I was reading some trivia questions, fun facts about Richard Ramirez. Hey Richard, what's your, what's your favorite food? Tell us, your fans wanna know. Richard's response was, quote, Women's feet. All right, Richard, tell us, tell us. What's your biggest like? What's something you absolutely love? His response, quote, cocaine. Hey, Richard, tell us, what's your favorite vacation spot? Vacations. Richard said, quote, Uranus, end quote. Okay. Hey, Richard, uh, one last question for your fans. If you like a girl, how do you get her to notice you? Richard said, quote, I pull my gun out. End quote. So that was the Richard Ramirez fun facts I learned. Very heavy story, I think we can all agree. It's very sad. He was the, the legit boogeyman. People that a lot of us fear, you know, someone breaking into your home and just, oh, that is a lot of our, our nightmares. That is the story about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. I would love to hear your thoughts down below. I appreciate you guys so much for tuning in and hanging out with me. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices, be better, and get better idols. You deserve it. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.